Welcome to PageCast, a podcast series brought to you by Jonathan Ball Publishers, aiming to give you the story behind the story. By interviewing the authors responsible for some of your most loved books, we explore the thoughts, ideas, emotions, and creative processes which led to the writing of these books. If you are a reader with a zesty interest in people and stories, do stick around and enjoy what PageCast has to offer. Today, Ingrid and I are joined by the incredible Noah Belling, author of several books, the most recent being The Happiness Workout. Learn how to optimize confidence, creativity, and your brain. This book, without giving away too much ahead of our chat, gives a reader the guide through a variety of happiness workouts. Now, Noah has a master's degree in somatic psychology through Naropa University, which is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. So there's no better person to be penning this knowledge than Noah herself. I'm so glad and grateful that you've joined us today, Noah. Thank you very, very much for taking your time. Thank you for having me. Now, what does happiness look like to you? Happiness is multifaceted. On a very personal level, it is how I choose and find myself filling my days from family to meaningful communities to work that enriches and fulfills me. I'm very fortunate to be able to spend at least some of my working days with work that really fulfills me and makes a meaningful contribution. Happiness means doing the things we love and in terms of and being with the people we love and in terms of the book the most empowering message that I um, believe that I'm delivering about or offering about happiness is that no matter what's going on in the world outside whether we're stressed whether things aren't going the way that we want to it is also an experience that we can cultivate at will just because we decide to from the inside to influence how we feel and to influence the way we think and to influence the decisions that we make to help ourselves. Oh, that was absolutely amazing. Um, Nicola, what does happiness mean to you? I struggle a lot with happiness in the, in the sense that I'm a, I'm a big overthinker um, and I'm a big pre-visualizer. So I'm constantly thinking about the next and the future. So when I say I struggle with happiness, I'm, I'm generally a happy person, but I'm constantly overthinking the happiness and I'm thinking about the end of the happiness. Hmm, the end of the happiness sounds So no, not the end. The, the, an example, um, my siblings live abroad, they came over for the, for the festive season and it's the happiest time when everyone's at home. But the minute I registered that happiness, I realized that it's going to come to an end because hmm. they're going to have to go home. Hmm. Um, and that's what I struggle with. So I don't struggle with getting happiness because I find happiness is in all corners of, of my day job, of my day-to-day, of my relationships. But I struggle with forms of happiness that I think are going to have to come to an end because because time passes. Mm. The, the <laughs> thing that strikes me most about what you've just said is the experience of happiness in your mind. I'm thinking about when it's going to end. I'm thinking about appreciating what's happening around me as opposed to the direct experience or the feelings and learning. It's actually an art to learn to savor those feelings that we cultivate and to be able to grow more it sounds weird to say we need to grow more tolerant of our happiness or of our how good we can feel because strangely enough we are quite comfortable sometimes with our stress levels we're quite used to them or they're our default style of being in the world yet happiness is actually something that we can grow our resilience towards 
strange as that may sound. And all the practices in the book, and the neuroscience also backs this up, tells us that we actually can really benefit from practicing even as short as 30 second interventions in a day. Like just taking a moment to take a deep breath. Just taking a moment for me to write my posture. I often find when I'm really stewing on something stressful, I'm tense or I'm standing on one leg or I'm contorted in some way. And just to put my two feet on the ground and write my posture often brings with it that spontaneous deep breath. It's not about trying to be perfect. It's not about trying to have that perfect posture. It's just about trying to align with our center and stay in contact with, I will go through, as we go through the interview, some of these different qualities because happiness means different things to different people. For some people, it's that inner quiet, that contentment, that deep sense of joy, that or inner peace that we strive for. And for other people, it's we think of happiness, we think, oh, I want to feel excited and like things are happening and good stuff's going on. Well, that's actually only one aspect of happiness. And I've spoken to hundreds of people on this topic and everyone seems to come out with a conclusion that they really would prefer, for the most part, that more grounded, sustainable, that inner peace. That's what we're actually longing for. So a combination of all, we don't want to get rid of the excitement either. And we actually need to become more resilient in our ability to tolerate those feelings. And when we do so, for example, I refer to neuroscience, 30 second interventions, even two or three times in a day, those pauses like you just did for your breath, for your posture. You can also place a hand on your chest. It's my other, one of my absolute favorites, just to connect with yourself and your heart a little bit, give yourself some soothing. Those moments add up and can actually rewire your brain to orient that little bit more towards what brings you joy and to savor it when it is there. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So um, it's kind of taking, taking control and making a conscious decision to practice those 30 second interventions. You mentioned putting your hand on your chest and in the book there's a small um, insert from one of your patients um, obviously not his real name but would you please share with the listeners what happened to Miles and what he experienced okay Miles is your traditional overworker strong personality even when he was sitting back would sit back in the chair in the in the couch you'd kind of see that a part of his spine wouldn't quite give in it's it remained rigid it remained upright that strength of character and one day, I won't go through the, the whole story, one day there was a turning point. As psychologists, we learn to look out for these moments, they're like magic moments where there's an in into some other aspect or some longing that a person has. He suddenly mentioned, he's like, oh, something interesting happened and it really caught my attention. I was at a friend's house and they have a child and the mom was rubbing eucalyptus oil on this baby's chest because it had a blocked nose or whatever it was. And I found myself mesmerized and just wishing that I was that baby, going, wow, that feels really good. And I latched onto this and suggested that we pause at that moment to place his hand on the chest and just see how it would feel to close, you, close his eyes, sometimes helps us contact the experience more deeply because we're quite distractible when we have our eyes open. So if you want to try out an experience and really get close to that experience, close your eyes and maybe listeners you want to try this out also, just put your hand on your chest wherever it feels right, as if you're rubbing ointment, soothing ointment on your chest. Notice how that feels. 
And in that moment for miles, you can keep going as long as you want to, or you can release that whenever you're ready. It was a softening. It was a moment of going, what's just happened? I don't know myself this way. And it led down a road of all sorts of interesting conversations of how he connects with people in his life, how he connected with his parents. And again, the book has a little more in that, in that case study. The end result was his tailored 30 second interventions that he used, not because I said he should, because those don't work so well. It's because he had an experience and was like, wow, this made a difference. His 30 second interventions, whenever he felt like it was to do some soothing touch anywhere. He sometimes liked to just stroke his arm or even hold his arm if he was in a meeting or if he was feeling stressed and not able to place a hand on the chest or stroke his arm. So that became, that's an example of how 30 second interventions can really evolve organically and it coming to the uh, biochemicals of happiness that is one way to understand and measure happiness that I look at in the happiness workout. This, whenever we place a hand on ourselves, it stimulates oxytocin, which is our feel-good, cuddly, snuggly hormone. It helps us feel more in connection with ourselves and each other and kind of slows us down. Even as I'm talking about it now, I feel like my voice is becoming more smooth, feeling more relaxed. Yeah, so that was Miles. It actually just comes down to it's each to his own. So how you experience happiness, and that's what I loved about this book, is there's a lot of workouts or a lot of 30-second interventions that you can trial and error test and, and see what works for you. Because after reading Miles' story, I tried the soothing rub on my chest, and it was the best way to fall asleep. So absolutely, it was absolutely amazing. But please tell us, what did you learn about your body ever since you became aware of happiness and the concept of happiness? I have, I believe that happiness through the body was something I was introduced to very young, possibly even when I started ballet at the age of four years old and then went on uh, until the age of 24. I danced professionally for a few years as my first career. And for me, by accident, this experience of standing backstage and discovering that I could feel so nervous and shaky and stressing about what's, whether I'd remember everything. And I would step out on stage and you just step into another role, open into some breath and flow and grace and do your thing. That stepping out of anxiety and into something else lit something up inside me, began a curiosity that then became my master's degree in somatic psychology and eventually the happiness workout of our innate ability to shift our state, to be able to choose to place our two feet on the ground, to open our awareness and our senses to our environment, to be able to have ourselves stand and breathe more expansively and how this affects mental health. I actually was having a conversation with a friend of mine who was also a professional dancer recently and she told me the story how she wasn't the type of person who would step out on stage and thrive. There are two kinds of people. So how I dealt with the judgment, for her it became too much. That experience of I'm not really at home here, I'm not naturally a performer, that ability to put yourself out there. Whereas for me, 
I felt like it became an altered consciousness. I loved the performance space. To this day, I still do. I can stand on stage and love, revel in the experience. Um, last time we had the opportunity to speak in front of large groups of people, to speak in front of hundreds of people, that, that performer in me seems to come naturally, which is interesting from another point of view in terms of introvert, extrovert, because I actually am solidly and firmly an introvert. <laughs> and yet, being on the stage where there's a little disconnect between you and the people you're connecting with, I am a performer. So for me, that kind of fell away and became a, a way for myself to experience something different, to experience my bigness, my part of myself that wasn't judging. And the minute I stepped off that stage, I would step back into it. So in a way, the happiness workout is also written for that aspect of myself that steps off the stage. It's kind of like when we're exercising and we feel good, we're in our yoga class and we feel good, and then why can't we keep it the rest of the day? They say that's your one hour or 20 minutes and, you know, you do, it does influence the rest of your day, yet somehow or other we still can slip into our irritability and our edginess or our not quite being the best versions of ourselves. And so on stage, performer off stage I would need some of these interventions to help with the judgments and there are many tricks to do that like even the simple things that I've mentioned the grounding the posture taking awareness and putting it outside of ourselves instead of in these old practices that do not come easily necessarily and they need practice but you can try them out and those few seconds you try them out you can maybe get a hint of an ability that you might not know that you have it's interesting that you mention exercise being, you know, the escapist space that you get into. I changed from doing my run or my yoga or whatever at the at the end of the day to doing it at the beginning of the day, because I previously used to use it as a cure to make my day better, whereas now I use it as the way to start my day, to start my day on a good note. I'm not sure if this speaks to the blueprint change that you can change and also speaks to, I was definitely an extrovert when I was a kid, but the older I get, the more introverted I get as well. The very final chapter of the happiness workout is all about something called authentic movement or living authentically in a way that includes our bodies and our authentic impulses. We are always changing with our impulses and our responses to life. And even in ourselves, some days we feel like going out and interacting and others we just don't. And to be able to have that conversation inwardly, and if you're interested, there's a practice that you can incorporate in your day of following your natural movement, setting out five minutes. You can do it to music or not to music and following the impulse of what you're feeling through your body and movement. It can really help with those moment-to-moment -moment decisions then going, well, you know what, I can feel this about myself, but I do need to go out right now. So I'm actually going to hold a little piece of truth and go, this is my truth. And I'm going to take a deep breath and go and meet the days, what I need to face in the day. And on other days, I might feel different. So it's a, it's a way for you to hone your authenticity, to, to grow your relationship with it. Mm. I'm going to throw a spanner in the works here. I feel that we need to make a case for the extrovert because a lot of the time if you read online and do research about introverts and extroverts, everyone thinks, no, but the extrovert's fine, the mm. extrovert's fine. We're not. <laughs> so in this book, what I found very interesting and that actually gave me a lot of hope was that I can actually tap into my introvert 
part and actually keep her happy. What would you tell your extroverts and which exercises should they do to be more aware of the happiness of their introverted side? Good question. I speak in the book about a healthy balance, a healthy balance that applies to extroverts and introverts alike. Because if you are only feeding your extroverted side, you're going to burn out. If you're only feeding your introverted side, you're going to be disconnected from the world and you're not going to achieve your goals or have the kind of social fulfillment that you might have. So there is, there is, there's benefits in being able to, to get to know your own ups and downs. Where pra practices, if we find that we are naturally more of an extrovert, what I would recommend if you are interested in, if you find yourself burning out, if you find yourself rushing from one instant gratification to the next and one experience to the next, is to dabble in your way with meditation is one example. That would be the prescription for everybody to say, hey, let's learn to meditate, let's learn some mindfulness. And I have met many people over the years who do not gel for whatever reason with sitting down and meditating. And there are other ways to go about this. So, for example, I have a friend who surfs time out in nature, who likes rock climbing, walking in a forest. Nature is feeds our, I'm speaking about this biochemical called, and I'll, I'll give a small definition in a moment because biochemicals are not that difficult to understand, is are called serotonin, which is one of our quiet, quieter uh, biochemicals of happiness. Nature feeds it as much as meditation will feed it. And anytime a grounding, this quality, physical quality of grounding, placing your two feet on the ground, centering yourself and feeling the strength just because you ground and tune into gravity, the gravitational pull, which is very stable, emotionally stabilizing, it doesn't mean that you can't feel strong. As a matter of fact, if you take a moment now and place your two feet on the ground or feel your two sit bones on your seat and then feel how almost from the ground up, you can press slightly upwards and feel your strength in a way that you're not pulling your chest up like they used to say in the olden days, sit up tall and pull your shoulders back. That creates quite a bit of tension. But if you go from the ground up, you feel that solid balanced connection. So that's also something that the extroverts can work on is how to maintain a healthy balance with, with their grounding, with moving maybe a bit slower, with exploring, making time for mindfulness through nature, for also quality time with loved ones. Oxytocin is the other more introverted quality that wants to connect meaningfully with other people and with ourselves. And we actually need to be quite slow, we need to slow down a little bit. If we're always on the go, go, go and interacting, even if we're interacting in a fun and lively way, that's more dopamine's domain. It loves sort of the spark and excitement and the fireworks and the dynamic creativity and vision, which is great. And that dinner table, heartfelt connecting, even as I speak that, I like get out of breath. You need to find, and that healthy balance is often this rhythm of going, well, I've got energy to do that. I need to sort of get up, up, up and set my goals and be excited and be visionary or whatever it needs. I need to get my energy up and my motivation up. And then I need to follow that curve, whether it's taking a good lunch break and actually stopping to smell the roses, to look at the plants around me, to go for a walk and just take in some things through my senses. So these are ways for the extrovert to balance. 
and the opposite for the introvert would say if you're feeling like you're stuck inside of your own little bubble and after this pandemic a lot more people can land up feeling like that is to novelty is the is is really what um, dopamine which is one of our most wonderful exciting extroverted uh, biochemicals is all about even just going for a walk on a new route or if you're a runner go for a run on a new route taking some different senses or drive your your wherever you want to go but take a different route choose a new holiday destination try out a new recipe and on a physical level you want to get your energy up so you want to do more active kinds of exercise whether it is my favorite is to put on music and actually dance that that really gets a lot of biochemicals going but dopamine can be one of them anytime we open ourselves up shake off tension reach out into the world or just stretch that helps to open us up just try this for a moment just for no other reason stretch reach as high as you can maybe wriggle your fingers you can yawn if that comes naturally Ooh. and then as you lay your arms down you can even just shake out <laughs> how does that feel i'm curious amazing yeah. i keep on thinking about how this is the perfect manual for all of us around the table but also for kids and how important it is to implement this at a, at a school level as soon as possible because, I mean, if I think back to my schooling experience, my extrovertedness was taken advantage of by my peers. Tapping on Nick's shoulder going, please ask the teacher this, or please ask the teacher that, or ask if we can go for a, outside and play on the jungle gym. Because, you know, you, you are the person who talks, the person who is extroverted. Whereas if we teach kids to have that balance, but we also teach educators to identify that within kids, I think that's where a lot of the change lies as well. Absolutely. The yeah. earlier that we can all be aware of it, absolutely. Are all are majority of the happiness workouts applicable to all ages? So with the concept of a workout, I look at it as the first half to three quarters of the book is more of an organic workout as in saying, choose your favorite two or three practices and use them two or three times in a day. Even if it's your favorite one practice, place your hand on your heart, you might need it at the stage of your life or if centering grounding it's a great one for me at the moment and then adjusting my posture from there use that one so that would be as a self-tailored workout in a way is exercising your happiness in little in little doses through the day at the end of the book are exercise programs that have a yogic or stretching or some kind of fun functional exercise basis for those Try them out when you have some time. If you have your yoga practice and your exercise practice in place, those are not essential. They are there to say, here are ways and more exercises for you to play with and grow if you want to do something different for that dopamine boost. Try out one of the workouts in the morning. Go, oh, I really need some grounding. I'll take that workout. Or I really need a dose of courage and strength. I'll try that. To really, if you're struggling to get the concept of what is this uh, happiness, the physical skill of happiness of strength, how does that relate? Well, perhaps read something about it in the chapter on it and try out the, work, the workout at the end. Yes, they're applicable to all ages. I would say always go carefully with physical exercise. So with the workouts at the end, be mindful of your body and your capability and know that you can absolutely feel happier even if you cannot participate in the workouts at the end. You can absolutely benefit from what you can do throughout the book at all ages. 
there's something that happened to me and I don't know Nicola you're also a runner I run because it, it makes me feel good but also after I reach a certain point or a certain amount of kilometers it's like okay I'm bored now and I don't get that wow that was such a great run it's like okay I can take that off my list it's like it's done but what happens when when you don't feel that bliss after workout session that you've been doing for a while now what exactly happens and and what can we do to always feel the bliss after training i refer to endorphins which is are our bliss hormones as not necessarily something that we can take charge of and say we want to like with dopamine serotonin um even though and uh, what was the life I've, I've got oxytocin's another one the biochemicals associated with happiness there are exercises that we can do deliberately to stimulate them whereas endorphins are like nature's healing soothing salve and it comes when you need it so you've described in what you've described with the running two things the one is maybe your body's just telling you i've i've had enough or maybe it wants a little dopamine boost, maybe try a different route, or add a little bit of a stretching, or do something different, or stop and do some high intensity skipping in the middle, I don't know, just change it up a little bit. That can then bring the dopamine to add that little bit of excitement. In terms of the bliss factor, that comes when we need it. When we do exert ourselves, we usually can get the rush of blissfulness, and at some point that will survive that will subside so so yeah. i'm not crazy if i don't feel the bliss after every run or every okay well i actually feel it after every yoga flow i must say i i feel that I'll, I'll also say it's a different breathing technique and there's something to be said about different forms of exercise our stress responses in our bodies you mimic the kind of breathing that you use when you're running if you do that a lot, it's actually a stress response. It's very energizing because we need that kick of energy to be able to get out of danger quickly. Although with yoga, you're doing this deep dive sometimes. Sometimes you do um, amplify your stress response, but then you learn to relax afterwards. So yoga is designed to help you calm the stress response. So all the breathing is deeper diaphragmatic breathing. You'll maybe pull it in through your belly and then up in your chest and you might exhale nice and long. That in itself, just whenever you expand the amount of air you're taking in and the amount of oxygen delivered to your cells, which is actually more effective. This is research that I've come to even subsequent to writing the happiness workout is that the slower our breathing, the more able we are to actually maximize the absorption of oxygen to our cells. And so sometimes it might be asking you to, to balance, is to do a little bit of the running. It's good to be able to get used to your stress responses and exercise your respiratory system and balance it. Because I find a lot of, there are a lot of people who overdo the intense exercise and then and, and don't compensate for it with whether it's the calming resources, teaching and training ourselves to be calmer like yoga can do, uh, like mindfulness practices can do. And then you'll often find those are the people who are struggling to fall asleep at night. Those are the people who are edgy and irritable and fidgety. And it's interesting because society tells us the harder and faster you go at it, the better it is for you. Um, and I recently, so I've been a road runner for as long as I can remember, but I've recently taken up trail running. And it has been the shift that I needed 
I love running, so it's still running. But last night I was in Newlands Forest after what was a tedious day. It was the last thing I felt like. But the minute I was there, but then you also mentioned the breathing and there was about halfway through the run, my breathing was out of control. And I had to take a pause and I had to slow it down, take a moment to ground myself and look around and smell the, the trees and, and take in the fresh air. And we do a lot of, a lot of the exercise we do, especially because of the pressures we're under uh, in society, we do it to tick the box, to burn the calories, to, for the next chocolate to be all right. Whereas we're not being in that moment. And I think that is just the, the that's the valuable, valuable lesson. Yeah. I want to say thank you for demonstrating the happy balance that I mentioned earlier. That was a perfect example of going about your whatever it is that you're doing. And in your case, you were running. And for other people that may be in the workplace and actually catching, wow, this is getting too much or I'm pushing myself too hard. And you grounded and you caught your breath and you took in the beautiful surroundings. And that really feeds your serotonin and now in the book i i read feeding yourself a steady diet of glimmers so can you please tell us more about what exactly glimmers might be and how we can do that i love this this is the work of deb dana who is an absolute expert in what's called the polyvagal theory sounds like a big mouthful and is written and that piece was from her book called the polyvagal theory in therapy i got that out without tripping over the words it was very impressive <laughs> and she has delightful ways of explaining our nervous system how our nervous system works and i was speaking earlier about these mini breaks of noticing and learning to up our tolerance of happiness we think we all want it but when we get it we don't even know how to absorb it so this idea of glimmers of feeding ourselves a steady diet of glimmers i got from her and she speaks about you could be going to the shops you could be on your run you could be at work and if someone if you catch someone's eye and they smile at you and that warmth just spreads out inside you or you see a bird and you're like captivated by it or a flower. These random moments, catch them. And she recommends noticing them for a few seconds. I spoke about the 30 seconds would be great if we can actually go, okay, wait, I've just had that experience. I'm not gonna tie myself. I'm not gonna move from that. I'm gonna let that feeling sit, settle, absorb into me. And she calls that savoring, savoring those glimmers, those, the positive moments. And so that can be random just when they happen and we can create a habit of it. It's a delightful practice to actually say, well, today I'm gonna notice and I remember playing around with this and I still do, although I like to play around with, with new concepts as I'm busy writing books. And I remember being surprised at how many delightful moments actually were around me in the day without any effort. They were just there. Or seeing a child playing on a playground and something was just so, I love that. And just allowing that feeling to feed you is so good for your nervous system. I won't go into detail. If you are interested, uh, there's a chapter on toning your nervous system for happiness which gives you a little bit of the science behind what you're actually doing inside yourselves when you are taking your 30 second breaks, which I subsequently came to call happiness hacks. And when you are growing your tolerance of staying in the feel good zone, it's not just because it feels good. It actually turns that the part of your nervous system responsible for you being able to think the best, hence the optimizing your brain in the tagline, to be most creative to be most confident, 
it comes with many benefits. I, I spend a lot of time worrying about other people's happiness, um, which is draining because it's not my responsibility. How do you make that shift to step away and put yourself first? You might find that your personality, I speak also in the book about how we all have personalities that lean in certain directions. So you're an, an oxytocin junkie, shall we say. You, 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 you want to care and nurture. Unfortunately, sometimes that's to the detriment of ourselves. So you will often be getting that oxytocin from your caring and sometimes not that healthy caring, maybe anxiety-driven caring for others. So what my recommendation would be is spontaneously, as you're discovering exercises, maybe it's one that I've mentioned today, maybe it's one that you can discover in the book, or I also have a couple of YouTube clips that you can contact with a few more of these quick exercises. And find one. Don't put pressure on yourself to find more. Find one that really resonates with you. It can be as simple as a hand to the heart. Something that has that visceral experience of, I came back to myself. And do that whenever you remember in a day. Maybe more than three times, or maybe you'll only remember once, but in that once. Hmm. Beyond ourselves, maybe it's not only for ourselves and each other, uh, maybe it's also for the world. That's slowing down to, to take stock where are we? What are we doing? How are we living? I know so many people who've semigrated, who've moved from, made, made decisions through this time. And I believe that big changes in the world are often times when we, when there's a gear shift that is actually needed. And maybe that's also um, an important self-reflection is in what ways might I have been thinking about this gear shift? In what ways can I improve quality of my life and uh, the contributions that I make to the world or my awareness of what's going on um, because of this big time of disruption. Noah, thank you so much for joining us today and to the listeners, thank you for tuning in. It has been a massive privilege for both Nicola and I to chat to you and both of us feel super calm. I can just see Nicola is, is shining with so much peace at the moment. Um, listeners, please do do give yourself the, the chance to go buy this book. It's, it's life-changing, but in a super grounding way. Thank you so much, Noah. Such a pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of PageCast. We have an incredible lineup of author interviews, so head over to our Facebook and Instagram and follow Jonathan Ball Publishers to stay updated and in the know regarding future episodes. Thanks for your interest in the story behind the story. Happy reading from everyone at PageCast.